You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast, Nine Finger Chronicles, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I tell you what, guys, spring decided to show up, and it was perfect timing because it was also second season shotgun for turkey, spring turkey, and uh, me and the wife went out, and uh, we gave her hell, and I was able to walk away with a bird Sunday morning. Uh, We hunted all morning let's see, Friday, and then after I shot my bird, I went back to the house, pick her up, and uh, we went back out again to try to get her a bird, that didn't happen, but uh, we gave it a we gave it a try, and I'm going to try to talk my wife into doing a podcast about, you know, about turkey hunting, because it's something that she, she kind of likes to do. But uh, I'm going to try to talk her in and we can share the entire story. Now, what are we going to talk about today? Today we're going to be talking with a gentleman named Ian Eckerstoffer. And he is going to talk with us about the logistics of traveling from one state to another. He's uh, born and raised in Wisconsin, but he lives in Virginia. And today's podcast is about how he dedicates certain periods of time to travel to Wisconsin to hunt because, you know, he, he dedicates the rest of his time to his wife and his occupation. And uh, so we're going to talk about airfare. We're going to talk about how he gets gear back and forth, when he goes, why he goes on those specific dates. So it's a really interesting podcast from that standpoint. Now, today's podcast is brought to you by Lone Wolf Tree Stands. If you guys haven't already, please, please, 
just go to the website lonewolfhuntingproducts.com and take a look at what they have to offer. It is one of the best tree stands on the market, if not the best tree stand on the market, and it is perfect for the public land run and gun guy. It's perfect for the mobile hunter. So uh, go visit lonewolfhuntingproducts.com and then go to lonewolfhuntingproducts.com slash nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers and enter your email address in there. And what's that that's going to do? It's going to enter you into some giveaways and then you're going to get a discount code and I'll just give it to you. And that's 9FC50. And that's going to give you $50 off of all purchases over $200. So you buy a tree stand and you're going to get $50 off of it. It's a awesome, one hell of a deal. Uh, so go take advantage of that to get one of the best tree stands on the market. Plus, it's made in America, so you, you can't lose there. All right. Enough of the BS. Let's get into today's BS session podcast with Ian Eckerstorfer. All right. On the phone with me today, Mr. Ian Eckens. I knew I was going to do that. I knew I was going to do that. Let me try this one more time. I'm not going to edit this out. Ian Eckerstorfer. You got it. You got okay. it. All right. Close enough anyway. Close enough. I'm used to it. Okay. All right. Cool. So, I got a I got a message from you, uh, and you basically explained in this uh, Facebook book message you sent me about a oh a unique scenario that you're in. Uh, you live in Virginia, but you yep. hunt mainly in Wisconsin. So that's what today's podcast is going to be uh, about. We're going to talk about people who basically travel. Uh, to hunt and some of the logistics that go into that and being away from the property and whatnot. But before we get into that, tell us uh, what part of Virginia are you from and what do you do for a living? So I'm from southeastern Wisconsin. I'm living currently in the Newport News, Norfolk area of Virginia. Um, I'm a laboratory supervisor. So I run four different urgent care and four health center laboratories. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So people, you get uh, blood work sent to you or, I don't know, a variety of Absolutely. different things, and, yep. and they, they test them. Yep. Yeah, I work for the Children's Hospital, so it's pediatric uh, specialty. Okay. So dealing with, dealing with lots of kids. Gotcha. Well, that's cool. Uh, probably keeps you on your toes, never get bored. Yeah, I'm on call from 8 a.m. to 11 at night, seven days a week, so <laughs> I'm a busy guy. Really? No, no time off? No, no time off. I work, I work 40, but I'm salaried. So any, any time that a lab is open, they can give me a call. My cell phone doesn't leave my side. If they got an issue or, or anything, they, they call me. So have you ever had to work like seven, 14, whatever day, at least go into the hospital, like 14 days in a row or whatever? Um, n- not too often. Thankfully they've, they have found me when I'm on vacation for hunting. I was in a tree stand last year in Wisconsin. And I got a call from one of my instrument reps and he's like i'm at your lab and i'm like i'm in wisconsin so i don't know how much help i'm gonna be able to give you (laughs) cool so like i like i mentioned earlier that's definitely what i taught uh what i want to talk about and you said that you grew up in would you say southwest wisconsin 
Southeast Wisconsin. Southeast yep. Wisconsin. Okay, Southeast Wisconsin. And is this where you grew up hunting, and that's where you kind of uh, learned how to hunt, and I don't know, family farm or anything over there? Yeah, so my grandparents had a family farm, and uh, I grew up in the suburbs of Milwaukee. And uh, since I was about four, I've been thumbing through those woods. Uh, I got pretty serious uh, for deer management around 17, 18, and I kind of just became an obsession from there. Nice, nice. So then who kind of was your mentor growing up, your dad, your grandpa, uncle? So my my grandfather was a hunter safety instructor in West Bend, Wisconsin for 45 years. So he was a, a major role model. And uh, my father is a, a humongous bow hunter, gotcha. uh, and he took me under his wings when I was little, and I I was hooked instantly. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So long story short, you've you're you're a fanatic hunter. Um, do you lean one way or the other? You know, for gun, muzzleloader, or bow, or any particular weapon. So my my time home is very short, and I reserve it all for for bow hunting. Gotcha. Gotcha. So how, how long have you been away from Wisconsin? Uh, not necessarily in Virginia, but, uh, away from Wisconsin and, and then making that trip back every year. So we got married in 2015 and I moved to Washington, DC. Okay. Um, it all revolves around my wife. She's uh, active duty air force and she's a physician. Okay. So she's in her residency. Um, and there were three options for her residency. There was uh, San Antonio, Texas, so big bucks. Yeah. Uh, Southern Ohio and Dayton, which is also big bucks. I'm like, all right. And then uh, Portsmouth, Virginia. And she liked Portsmouth, Virginia, so the boss made the call. That's where we were going. <laughs> <laughs> so she uh, she had the trump card, so to speak. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I I was really pulling for Southern Ohio, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've heard great you. things, but yeah. uh, uh, the uh, the residency and her getting the training to be a good doctor takes priority over my deer hunting. <laughs> okay, so she's she's in the Air Force, but train like she's training to be a doctor. Yep, yep. She she graduated from medical school, so to be a, become a physician is four years undergrad four years of medical school and an additional three to four for a residency. So she'll have 12 years of schooling completed when she can practice on her own as a physician. Gotcha. Okay. So here you are in Virginia, an active deer hunter who has, you know, how many miles is it from where you live to where you hunt in Wisconsin? I honestly couldn't tell you, but it's a lot more than I would like. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I'd say about a thousand, a thousand, a thousand miles. A thousand miles. Okay, so you're you're roughly a yep. thousand miles away from your bow hunting, uh, your bow hunting property. And how much time yep. throughout the year do you dedicate? So when you're, you know, when you go to take your vacation, how much time are you dedicating to that trip, that annual trip that you make? So in the spring, I go home for a week in May. Um, turkey season in Wisconsin opened this morning, and uh, I push my turkey hunting back. I tell my wife I'm turkey hunting. It's really to put in spring food plots. So right. I usually do four, four or five days in the spring. Um, I try to shoot a turkey right off the bat, and then mostly mowing clover and, and moving trail cameras because I'm not going to be home again until September. 
Okay. So I have to move all my cameras off of turkey scouting to where I need them to be um, for September when I'm pulling them the morning of opening bow to see where I'm going to sit that night. Okay. So I got to, I mean, I'm six months ahead at all times pretty much is, is what it boils down to. Gotcha. So then you come home for the opening weekend and then how long do you stay? I, co- I, I come home for, for the first week of bow season typically okay. and then a week during the rut. Yep. Okay. All right. So opening opening week and then the a week during the rut and just a quick question let's say and i'm just gonna make an assumption here that you're dedicating two weeks to to hunting why are you dedicating one entire week at the front end of the season as opposed to let's say like two weeks during the rut so a a couple reasons for that the the first reason is the pressure in southeastern Wisconsin is intense. And I think my best chance, and my wall will prove it, that I do really well on early season cold fronts on the farms I hunt. Okay. Um, the latest I've killed a big buck has was October 2nd. I, I don't do well during the rut. My farms are small wood blocks, egg. Um, we don't have a lot of thick bedding or, or, or swamps. So my I can catch one cruising rut, but the way we run our cameras and the way we way I like to hunt anyway is I like to have one pattern, not a food source, hope and pray that the weather's I'm going to get a cold front or it's going to be cold the week I'm home and going and kill them and be done. Okay. So, and that's a strategy that has, what you're saying is, has worked for your, for you over the years. Historically, yeah, that's correct. Okay. All right. Uh, now, aside from that week, and the week in the rut, opening week and a week in the rut. Do you come home any other time throughout the year? It sounds like you do. Uh, you you quote unquote turkey hunt, but you're planting food plots. But any other trips back home uh, where you can maybe get some sits in? Uh, I try to during Christmas. When we come home, we usually try to come home for Christmas or New Year's based on. You, you know, I, I'm in healthcare and my wife's in healthcare, so people are sick 24 7, 365. So a lot of times I can't take off the week of Thanksgiving or the week of Christmas, so I, I get New Year's. So right. I, I get home around Christmas or New Year's, but that's usually reserved for family time. And I, I kind of feel selfish trying to sneak away because I'm, I'm home for such a short time to try to go fill my unfilled buck tag if I got one. So you pretty much have a set of weeks that you have dedicated to going home just for hunting. Okay. All right. So yeah, I'd say, I'd say, okay, go ahead. So, so now you, there's a whole bunch of other things that I, you're, you're a long way from your property. All right. So you're going in like in, in here in a couple weeks and you're going to be moving your trail cameras from, I guess what you called your Turkey locations over to your, um, to your deer locations. But as we all know, the a deer's pattern changes a lot from you know may june july august into september so when you get there the opening you know a little bit before opening weekend what kind of information are you trying to get from those trail cameras you know that will help you that opening weekend or that opening week so the gun season pressure is real intense, so you never really know which bucks are making it, which ones aren't. 
So the longer the cameras are out there, the more likely I'm going to pick one up. Their summer ranges tend to be small, but every now and then one will just show up. Um, a lot of it has to do with the crop rotations on our farm, um, moving um, cameras off of plowed fields that are going to be planted in corn onto bean fields where they're going to be feeding in the summer. Um, we do a lot of food plots, um, mostly clover now. Um, I got, unfortunately, I got a buddy that comes on and, and mows my clover plots at least once or twice in the summer. So that that's where uh, we keep most of our cameras is on those, those summer clover plots transitioning to beans. And, and that does pretty well for us to, to build an inventory. Okay. So are you using that information? Uh, how many, I guess, how many food plots are you, do you typically have uh, and how many acres do you have access to hunt? So I have a hundred acre home farm, a 47 acre lease in the Metro unit, which is bow only. And then we picked up a new lease out in Western Wisconsin this year that we're pretty fired up about. Um, Acreage-wise for food plots, I'd say about a, I have about an acre and a half on the home farm. And I'm going to try to buy some sandy crops this year from the farmer. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so you, you have your food sources there. You know, over the years when you've made your trip back, you know, before opening week, are you getting good enough intel to where you're looking at, you know, I take it you take an entire day to just go and check trail cameras. How does that work? Yeah, so I, I got my buddy if he can, but he, he works as a union painter. So his his summer schedule is, is pretty much nonstop. So if he gets a chance to run out there, but we like to leave our farms alone for the final five weeks of summer. You know, no one going in there, no one going nothing. So I go in usually with airfare. I don't make it opening morning. I'm usually delayed. I try to fly out Friday night, but getting out here from the from the east coast seldom happens i think i've missed three of the last four so i'll go in at noon and i'll, I'll pull all the cards as long as the wind's right and spots i'm gonna hunt and i'm gonna go in there full ninja let's grab cards and sneak out and i'm gonna pour through six months of data before i decide where i'm gonna hunt and it tends to work out really good if we if we have a big buck on the property two years ago i, I killed one on a summer pattern uh, 156 inch 13 pointer that was the biggest buck ever killed off our farm so i don't get to do any summer scouting i don't get the glass field but my my cameras are scouting for me a thousand miles away and it it, it works out on occasion <laughs> yeah do you have any cell cameras uh, see some people run them and i just i, I don't I, it's just not for me i i feel like my farms are small enough for that if i could get a picture texted to me on one end of the farm and i know he's moving i i just it's just not for me i'm no but i'm talking about the long distance thing that you got going on just so you're getting a little bit more intel as opposed to let's say your buddy can't make it out to switch out cards for you and you're having to wait four months to to check trail cameras yeah we, the other thing too about southeastern wisconsin is we lose a lot of trail cameras uh i'd say three to four a year get stolen and having $500 strapped to a tree (laughs) is not something I really want to do. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense, man. So you got your trail cameras out and you're coming back home for the opening week. You, you dedicate a day or however many hours or whatever to checking those trail cameras to locate a deer that you feel is huntable right off the bat that could still be in that, that late summer pattern, right? 
Yep, in an ideal world. If that if that happens, I'm a happy guy. Whether I get him killed or not is another story. <laughs> okay. So, like most early season hunts, whether it is a summer pattern or not, deer typically don't move until late, you know, last light or maybe there's a cold yep. front. So, what what are yep. you what are you doing if that opening week doesn't match up with a cold front or you check your trail cameras and let's say all the bucks that you deem a shooter are nocturnal. Uh, I'm shooting does. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We we have an ample supply of of does in the area. Uh, The farmers that that cash rent our properties uh, definitely ask us to shoot does. So if I get lucky and I catch a cold front or the weather's cool, I I got a chance at them. But uh, most like last year, it was in the 90s when I was home the first week, and it, it, it's weather dependent for everyone, but even more so for me when I'm on a limited time. If I get a cold front, I got a chance. If not, I'm, I'm going to hunt does, and I, I still stay out of the best areas because, I, I mean, I got my dad and my brothers and my buddies. We all hunt the same farm, so I'm not going to go in there just because I'm home and, and booger a deer and, and blow their chance to kill them when we get a cold front the day after I leave. Right. So you're sharing these farms with family and friends as well right yep yep okay. absolutely right. yeah especially with the leases i can't justify paying a full lease price when i'm home for two three weeks a year and i'm only hunting the lease three or four days it's, it's just not practical right right absolutely so you know i share property with other hunters but i'm not in i'm not really in communication with them right i don't care mm-hmm. where they hunt and they don't care where i hunt you know, I'm going to go where I'm going to go, and they're going to go where they're going to go. Um, when when you are gone and you come back for the rut or you come back for that first week, because you're away, do they give you dibs, or are you kind of just on your own thrown in the pot with everybody else? It's, it's really a team effort. I, I guess I relate to the guys that hunt out west when one buddy draws an elk tag and everyone goes and hunts with them it's really a team effort for us last year uh, my dad shot the top buck on the farm and i was just as ecstatic as if i got it but i ran into the problem was that that was the only buck i wanted to shoot on that farm while i was home so (laughs) i didn't have a buck to hunt and i was in wisconsin so uh, that that ran into an issue but uh, you know, we all hunt together. We all share in, in the success, and I, I get just as fired up as my dad or my brothers or my buddy shoots shoots a big deer. Gotcha. So, does your on your farms? Do you have like a standard or a set age class that you're looking for? Uh, you mentioned that your dad shot the the buck that everybody wanted, but then from there it was no more shooters. Yeah, we it. I'd say one twelve bucks make it to four and a half in the area we hunt on our home farm. Uh, we got neighbors that sit two of the four line fences for gun, and it, it, the pressure is really intense. We we try to target four year old deer. I uh, had a really nice three year old split G twos, split brows that got taken out gun season uh, last year. So we were pretty slim pickings until uh, December. Actually, the night of my buddy's wedding, we got a picture of what's going to be probably a Boone and Crockett deer that we have no history with that showed up. So we're excited, but yeah, I mean, just the way the farm lay out and the pressure, we usually get one or two shooters a year on, on the home farm and you got four or five guys hunting the farm. You just, you know, it's a team effort. We're going to get this kill deer, deer killed and we, we don't care who gets them. Right. So what did you do then? I mean, did you stop hunting when 
that your dad shot that buck on, on the rut during the rut trip? I mean, I mean, for me, I couldn't do that. I, I would, I would have to go somewhere else on a different farm, you know, shoot does or something. So I went down to our lease in the Metro Wyoming unit and uh, we have power lines that run through our lease. And of course the, the only week I'm home is the week they decided to do maintenance. So they were brush hogging underneath the power lines while I was home. Oh boy. Um, so that's, that, that's why uh, I'm pretty excited about this, this third lease, um, ha- having a third spot. And I, I kind of look at what makes people successful. The guys that consistently are shooting big deer and it seems to all boil down to access and, and a lot of it. So we're, yeah. we're trying to up the acres we have access to and having a, a plan A, a plan B, a plan C. And then if I get desperate, maybe a couple sits on public land. But uh, like I said, the pressure in southeastern Wisconsin is so intense. And I don't have the luxury of going out in the summer and glass and, and, and scouting public land to, to really have a good idea. So I just like, you know, get out, shoot some does and, and have a good time and not have to think about work. Right. So have you had a, at a year where it just didn't line up, like you were too late or you were too early or September season rolled around and it was hot as shit and, and nothing was moving. And then, um, I don't know, you missed, you missed the, the timing of the rut on, uh, on your trip back during the rut. Yeah, that, that would be the summation of my last season. <laughs> yeah, It was the uh, nineties the whole week I was home. And then, uh, the rut pattern on our cameras was late and my dad got that big one and I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm not knocking the old man. I'm, uh, that was his biggest bull buck ever. So but yeah, just uh, the way the stars aligned you, I don't, I can't say, all right, well, you know, I got post rut after, you know, uh, late season on the food plots. I got, you got this week. I got to make it happen this week. And if I don't, that, that's the way it goes. Right. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen in this in this traveling from point a to point b um do you leave like your your hunting gear in wisconsin or is that something you're you're packing back and forth every time i've had really good luck with the airlines um that my bow has made it every time uh my dad is is the greatest guy he say you know he's told me i've never had to he said if i come home and my bow doesn't make it his bow is mine so right. I'm fortunate that way. I, fl- I fly with my boots on, so I have my hunting boots, and uh, I have a, a set of clothes in my check bag carry-on that if I need to hunt, I got, I got clothes. So gotcha. I, I plan around it. Uh, I went out elk hunting last fall for a rifle hunt for a bachelor party, and I flew from Norfolk to Atlanta, Atlanta to Salt Lake, and Salt Lake to Cody with uh, 30-minute interview uh, um, layovers at each stop. And uh, my, my stuff made it just fine. So I, I, I give the airline credit. I haven't had any issues with, with flying at all. Okay. So you're, as far as your baggage is concerned, you've never lost anything. Um, what uh, no. what kind of extra steps do you have to go through? And I've never had to travel with a, a gun or a bow. But what, what extra steps do you have to go through when traveling with a bow or a, a gun? So the, the TSA agents are always going to assume, at least my experience, that what's in that lock case is a firearm. Right. So even if, and I, even if I tell them it's a bow, they're like, ah, I don't know, are you smuggling? So they're going to have me open it up. Yeah. Um, I, I use TSA locks on my bow case because it's not a weapon, but I use regular standard um, padlocks for my rifle. 
Um, each airline is a little different, so I like to go on the website. But a good rule is every hole that's on that case that can have a lock is you put a lock on. So I put four padlocks on my, on the case I use. Okay. All right. And I, I try to get there about and probably get there two hours ahead of time All right. instead just, of the standard one and a half. Just in just case. Just in case they're going to yeah. – yep. So what – items do are you typically taking back and forth in the airlines with you i know you mentioned your boots and some clothing and then what items do you typically leave at the farm or leave with your at your parents place yeah so so no tree stands or anything like that uh just binocular rangefinder bow and my camos is what i fly with i got a big duffel bag i can lock up and i probably have to pay overages for weight every time i come home and fly um, I usually uh, ship venison back uh, instead of checking it on because if I get delayed and I have frozen meat, it, it, it's sitting at the airport. That just freaks me out. So I'll, I'll ship it and pay same day or next day uh, shipping and get, get venison out. And it's a lot of money, but if you divide it over a year and a half or what it, what it costs or what it lasts me for venison, it really isn't too bad. Right. So why do you fly and not drive? So when I lived in D.C., it was a 12-hour drive, so gotcha. I could make it in a day. Now that I'm here in, in Norfolk, it's 17 hours. So really, that's a, a two-day drive trip. Oh, so it's further. So I'm taking, yeah, it's further. So instead of it being a one-day trip there and one-day trip back, it's a two-day drive and a two-day drive back. So that's four days of hunting that I'm losing potentially by driving. Gotcha. Okay. So it's just quicker for you to fly. Yep. Quicker more time and as long as i don't get delayed and make it there it, it works out better okay so you, you you mentioned something about this uh suburban deer unit that you uh that you yep. hunt talk to us a little bit about that um how that came about is this something that you have to qualify for is it something that anybody can hunt you know explain those so it, it's the suburbs of Milwaukee. It's a metro unit, bow only. Um, like a lot of guys, it, it's a known area, but not back in the day anyway. When I was in high school, not a lot of guys knew about it. So I say I, I probably knocked on 50 to 100 doors, and I had three properties. Um, the first property, the farmer didn't want me shooting his does, and I had never ran into a farmer that didn't want me shooting does. So I lost that property, and no, no hard feelings. We were just on a different communication. Um, the other property, once I started hunting, it typical happens. Oh, you can bow hunt here. I got a family member that can bow hunt. So I lost that property. And then this third property that I still have, um, it was an older lady of her home farm and her daughter. I actually went to visit her in the nursing home. I found her new address and I talked to her and she said, well, why don't you talk to my daughter? Um, so while I was in college, I mowed grass at the old farm while her mom was in the retirement home. I painted gazebos and did odd and chores at her house in order for uh, for hunting rights, and it, it's went from there. I've I've hunted some great big deer, but when you're hunting in the city, a lot there's a lot of people that like to walk through, and you deal with stuff walking away. But the size of the bucks justify that the headaches a, a lot of the time. Right. What are we uh, What are we talking about as far as size of bucks, quality of deer in this uh, specific unit? I've had deer over 180 inches on camera down there. Um, recently, we lose a lot of deer, and, and Justin's our, uh, the guy that was on a couple other podcasts, he nails it. We lose 
a lot of deer to cars okay. in our area. We're, we're, real, we're real friendly with the police officers, and they, they come in and, and talk to us when we're going out to hunt, and they're like, man, you need to shoot some deer because every cold front we're dealing with six or seven deer car collisions. <laughs> so they're all, they're, all, they're all about us shooting some deer. But we lose a lot of big bucks, but there's, there's some really big, big deer in the area, and there's a lot of areas where you can't bow hunt, and these deer are living in the suburbs and eating in gardens and bird feeders. So they get old and, and the biggest thing is there's no gun season, no gun hunting. Right. So right. Uh, they, they make it. Now, is this something you have to be qualified for or anybody can hunt? You, you need to have a permit with the city. Um, that's the only thing, written permission and a permit. So uh, basic hunter safety like anywhere else in the state and, and a permit. Any archery skill set that like uh, no, um, no. in, the, in the town next to me or to the south of me, they have uh, in city limits bow only hunting. It's a bow only unit and you have to pass a test. It's a pretty easy test. It's like they put a pie plate or a, a paper plate up on a deer at 20 yards and you got to put five arrows inside that or something like that. It's real easy. Yeah, I, I, I ran into that out here on the military bases. If you're going to hunt, um, I don't personally do it, but yeah, though, that's not a requirement back there. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So what happens, and I want to go back to this traveling thing just a second, but what happens if there's – I don't know if you've run into this or not. So, like, early season, there may not be a shooter. You're going to shoot some does. Uh, the rut gets here, and there's nothing, like, there's nothing of the caliber that you want to shoot, or it's hot. Are you ever maybe flying back and then flying back out again to catch the next cold front or anything like that? Or is it just, these are your dates, the, you know, I'm hunting during these dates. If it's hot, it's hot. If the, if there's no movement, there's no movement, but this is what I got. Yeah. I'm fortunate if I get off work and I can get away, uh, it's the days that I'm picking are the days that I'm going this year. I'm, I'm bumping up my rut trip to two weeks. Okay. Um, so I, I should, I should hit a cold front this year. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. Now, what about hunting back home in Virginia? So it, but Virginia is a little different from, from back home. The main thing with Eastern Virginia is they run deer with dogs. Okay. And, and the, the public land is where they train the deer, uh, the dogs to run deer. So there's dogs running left and right. I've, I've tried the whole hunt club thing. Uh, the first one didn't work out when I sprayed roundup on, on a field and I killed everything and thought that I killed the whole plot. And, uh, we had a disagreement. And three weeks later, when the turnips blew up, the kid shot his deer off the plot, which was awesome. I'm, I'm happy for the kid, but I, I, it, it's a different mentality out here. And then the second year, I tried a different hunt club, and it more or less came along the lines of the guys that have been in the hunt club hunt these spots, and you can have whatever's left, and whatever's left is not where you need it to be. So it, it just hasn't worked out. And when I'm here, my focus is work and then making sure my, my wife has everything she needs because she's working six, seven days a week, 12 hour shifts. So I'm really here for, for her. I, I, I pick, I pick my time, but right. it's my time to hunt. I'm going home to Wisconsin. I'm, I'm making that a priority over, over public land deer here in Virginia. Right. So I want to talk about that just a, a little bit. I want to talk about the, um, uh, the hunt clubs. So you've had, basically you've had bad experiences and I've heard a little bit about this 
in the in the south, uh, further south, um, where you know, hey, you join a hunt club, and it, you don't really know what you're getting into. You know, you you think I have four thousand acres I can hunt, but you really don't have four thousand acres because everybody, like you mentioned, has been in who's been in there a little bit longer, uh, has these spots that they stick to. You mentioned yep. that, so yeah. talk, talk to me in detail a little bit more about that. Yeah, I got a tour of a 1,400-acre piece of property, and they said, yeah, we, we try to pass small bucks, which turned out to be they passed the spikers and shoot the two-year-olds, just, what, you know, whatever. And then uh, I paid the lease, everything, and then you get a, a something in the mail that says, all right, these areas are, are reserved already. I'm like, well, I'm paying for 1,400 acres, and everywhere that I've had a camera or wanted to sit is already reserved for somewhere else and my cat my check's already cast so i made the best of it i got out um uh, and it just came from like i'm gonna put my priority in wisconsin where i have access there's bigger deer and uh save my time back here in virginia for my wife yeah but wait a second like you just went along with it i mean for me if i if i paid you know, it's like this is a fourteen. This is a fourteen hundred acre lease. You paid your money, and then you get something in the mail saying, "Okay, it's not fourteen hundred acres. You actually only have forty acres to hunt." But then you you paid for access to fourteen hundred acres. Was there a conversation that you had with anybody to express your feelings, or was it kind of just like a? Oh, I I I told them I'm like you know it would have been nice. To, for me to, to have a map and be like, this is where you're hunting. This is the areas you can. Um, they had never really ran cameras in the area. And I actually found two or three really nice bucks, one with a drop tying and one that was 140 class. And in Virginia, that, that's a pretty big deer. So I was on good deer, but uh, to, to be able really to kill them and learn a property in one year, I needed to be where, where those guys were hunting. And, and the other thing too, is they didn't really communicate with you. So it turns out they were blowing through the areas where this buck was betting to get to their spots, and they just—I never had a chance at them. Right, man, and that right there is crazy. Like when when people explain to me a hunt club, and just like what you did, where you there's no communication. People can do whatever they want, but at the same time, they can't. Like guys like you who are new can't do whatever you want because for me, if I was to join a hunt club. And they say, okay, you have access. I would have one stand on my back and I would go wherever I saw the best sign. And that's probably where these other, uh, these other people were hunting. Did you have a a conversation like that at all? Like, can I, you know, I'm going to set a tree stand here. Is, is that okay? Or did people straight up just try to strong arm you and say, well, don't go there because Frank hunts there. Yeah, it was the strong arm action, and I wish I had known that ahead of time. But, you know, everyone's nice and friendly with you. Like, oh, yeah, we're real cool guys. You know, come and hang out at the campsite, and we'll shoot, you know, talk and all weekend long, and we'll have a good time. And then when it comes to season, it finds out, well, you can't hunt here, you can't hunt there. I've been hunting here for 23 years, and it's like, you know, I paid a paid fair share. I should be able to, to hunt or whatever. We can work something out, but... It, it's not worth the effort. It's not worth fighting with people. They're, they're deer. I don't need to get a, in a fight with someone out in the middle of, of the wilderness in Virginia <laughs> when I don't have self-service. It is not worth it. Right. So you kind of learned your lesson that 
you know, hunt clubs yeah, my, aren't, aren't my, for you. Yeah, my 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 money is better spent on leases in Wisconsin for gotcha. sure. Now, now here's <laughs> for here's sure. for here's the thing, right? You said lease in Wisconsin. Now, have you thought into leasing something closer to you, like Ohio, Kentucky? You know, is an up and coming state. Uh, Ohio's close. Um, those two states stick out as far as closer to Virginia than to Wisconsin. So is that something that you've ever thought about doing, getting something a little bit closer to home to potentially make even more trips to hunt? This this opening week in Kentucky for a velvet deer is, is very tempting. Um, okay. I do spend a lot of money in, in air travel and leases in Wisconsin. Um, so buying another tag in another state for a three-day hunt or driving out there on the weekends, it, it, I, I thought about it. But again, I, I'm very fortunate. I get three weeks to go home, and that's set aside for me to hunt. So that's a lot, a lot more than a lot of guys get. So yeah. I, I feel very fortunate to have that. Yeah, man. I don't know. Like, I love hunting, right? You know, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, I'm I'm right there with you. Like, I am right there with you. <laughs> I love being able to go check trail cameras and, and chase the big mature bucks, but I also love sitting and just being in a tree surrounded by Mother Nature. Do you ever, like, man, it, like, is it hard for you to only hunt a set period of time? It kind of sucks, but it's what I signed up for. The other thing, too, is that you don't realize is it's the little things you miss. So I live in the city. My wife's a city girl. I can't walk out the back patio door, start the grill, pop a beer, and shoot my bow. Right. I used to do that every night, every summer. I can't, like I know you love to do this, I can't go in the other room and sit and look at my mounts because I don't trust the Air Force moving companies with deer heads. (laughs) So I'm not moving them all over the country. So that, that, that sucks. Um, I, I talked on the phone with my dad pretty much every day. What, what are the deer doing? What are the turkey doing? What's going on? Um, there's a couple local parks where I can put my headphones in and pretend I'm out in the woods. And I've walked a lot of public land out here in, in the area and, and got in the woods and had some Ian time, as I like to call it. But, uh, yeah, you, it, you miss it, and it makes you appreciate the Midwest a lot. And yeah. for all, all it offers, definitely. Right. right. Okay. So when your wife is done with college, right, and she's now an official doctor, and it sounds to me like y- you guys can then move again to wherever there is an opening. Is this something that you guys have already talked about? Like, okay, well, I want to go somewhere where there's good deer hunting, like Ohio, Kentucky. Iowa, Wisconsin, you know, Illinois, somewhere in that in yeah. that realm? Or is she like an East Coast person that's like, I want to stay out East? Uh, you know, we're, we're both done with the East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, we go where the Air Force tells us. Uh, that's, that's what it boils down to. We can put in a request where we want to go. Um, Alaska is a possibility. So that that would be a big switch. That would be pretty incredible. But uh, it really boils down to where where the Air Force sends us. How long? How much longer is she in the Air Force? Uh, so she owes one more year of her residency, and then so she did her medical school with the Air Force. So she owes them seven years. Seven years. Okay. So eight. 
seven more, so eight total. Eight total years. How old are you? 28. You're 28. Okay. All right. So you're going to be 36 by the time you guys are free from contract or you're free from contract. Yep. I don't know how old your wife is. but um, So at that point, I know that's a long time from now, but are we? <laughs> are, are you already thinking ahead to that point? Yeah, I got the moving home party planned for Wisconsin already. <laughs> Man, just, I'm ready to get home. But, you know, you being away from the farm probably is, a, uh, in a way, a benefit to your hunting as well. Because although you share property with other people and, you know, they're on the farms throughout the year as well, you not being on that farm means that there's just that much less pressure on that farm. So when you do get to come hunt it, uh, it's probably, I guess, perfect. Is that is that uh, a yeah. Yeah. fact? Yeah, I, I would definitely say I'm not I'm not out there I'm not out there every cold front. I'm not out there the days that I really shouldn't be. Like oh, it's gonna be a good day. I got out of work early. I, I'm there. When the time's right, the two times a year, I think my chances are, are best at killing a, a mature buck. Absolutely. Absolutely. So are there any deer that made it through the season this year that you're excited to go chase this upcoming year? Yeah, we got a really big uh, seven by five. We're calling Seagram's on the home farm. We were drinking, like I said earlier, seven and sevens at my uh buddy's wedding when he came in on camera so we pulled this picture and we're like all right we got a name for him uh the neighbor up the road picked up his match set so we're, we're thinking he's gonna be close to boone oh, buddy. and then uh, we got a really yeah he, he's gonna be big <laughs> we're, we're, we're hoping he he moves in the summer the, the the deer in our area usually have pretty small summer ranges but we know he's there and we got a big non-typical in uh, the metro unit that's a big spike by five just a gnarly looking thing that that's pretty cool and then we got another one with uh split brows and four key twos and my buddy had him at uh, 55 yards opening night this past fall and elected to pass and we never got a chance at him again and he got a little flack for that because i know a lot of guys that would have probably sent an arrow his way. <laughs> right right well man let me uh be the first to wish you good luck this upcoming season and thanks for taking time out of your day to hop on the podcast and bs with me not a problem man anytime yeah hopefully it'll touch bases and when i got one of these big ones down and uh good luck this fall to you too and there you have it monday's podcast in the books huge shout out to ian for coming on the podcast and uh chatting with us today huge shout out to all of you for taking time to download and making the sportsman's nation what it is i really appreciate that huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast wasp exodus ripcord lone wolf ozonics thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you who else what else I'm going to keep it short. Go leave a review on iTunes. Uh, Follow the Sportsman's Nation and Nine Finger Chronicles on Facebook and Instagram. And if you're going to be in a tree, please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week.